Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You can't wait to drop this don't you? Yeah, they gon' have fun with that. Smash like song and my songs gon' break through like a running back. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and not joining me today, my friend, my neighbor, my colleague, my frenemy, Mr. Mark Daly. Mark had the opportunity to spend the weekend at a retreat in the mountains with his family. It's the Labor Day long weekend. I said, man, you got to do this. It's your last chance before the kids go back to school. But joining me in just a couple of moments is friend of the show, Mr. Tim Haraney. Tim, of course, has been busy today covering both the Formula One race from the Netherlands, but also the IndyCar race from Portland. And I'll quickly add my favorite race of the IndyCar calendar is next weekend from Laguna Seca. But we have a great Grand Prix to talk about today. But before we do, I just want to give everyone a reminder about a couple of things. Coming up this month, we have interviews with both Megan Schuster from The Ringer. I'm incredibly excited about that. We'll be sitting down in just a couple of days to record that interview. And towards the end of the month, we'll be sitting down with Kevin Clark, host of The Ringer F1 show on The Ringer Spotify podcast network. Also equally as excited about that one. And if you've been on summer break and you haven't been tuning into our show the last couple of weeks, I totally get it. But we did a ton of really great content in the summer. Highly recommend you check out our interview with Trey Kirby. He is the host of the No Breaks podcast, co-host of the No Dunks podcast on the Athletic Network. We also interviewed Hamda El Kobesi, who is a Formula Regional driver, a European uh, Formula Regional driver in Europe. Uh, also also a Formula 4 race winner. We had a great interview and we learned so much about her journey. And of course, we also sat down with Matt Sakaris, had a great catch up with him. It's been a while since we've had friend of the show Matt Sakaris on. We did a great podcast with Adam Burns, the host producer of the DNF F1 podcast out of the UK. And then finally, we also had a really great opportunity to sit down with Charbel Saloum. Charbel has more degrees and master's degrees than I probably do plates in my kitchen. He's an incredibly smart guy. And we sat down to talk about power units. We called that episode Power Units 101 because we wanted to do something of an introductory session to the concept and the technical side of power units simply because they've been in the news feed so much lately after the FIA and Formula One introduced the new power unit formula that is going to come into force in. 2026. All right. I promised that was going to be all the updates. I'm going to keep this short. I do love those 20 minute cold opens, but we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to be joined by friend of the show, Tim Haraney of the TSN and the TSN Racing Pod. And we are going to break down the 2022 Dutch Grand Prix. See you on the flip side. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One slash cross featuring none other than Tim Haraney of the TSN Racing Pod. My name is Mark Hamilton. Joining me today is Tim. If you don't know me, I am co-host and co-producer of the Scuderia F1 podcast. Tim, who needs no explanation, no introduction whatsoever, of course, is the producer and host of the TSN Racing Pod. We are sitting here. It is Sunday night, September 4th. We've just watched the Dutch Grand Prix from Zandvoort in the Netherlands. My friend, how the heck are you? Yeah, good, man. Uh, it's been a it's been a long day, obviously, because uh, you know, gotta get up and do the race live and stuff like that. So it's been a long time. It's been a long day, <laughs> but uh, regardless, I'm excited to talk Formula One. 
Well, I'm excited to talk Formula One with you, and I'm not necessarily sure where we start. I think number one on my list is that Red Bull have set the record for the fastest pit stop in 2022 at 2.0 seconds. I don't know if we want to dive into that and dissect how they got to that point, but a lot of other good stuff I think we can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's best just to just get right into this with uh, obviously starting with your stapping, man, because... Like you and I have been talking about for the past few races already, the guy is just on another level. Uh, man, the Red Bull just still just keeps getting better and better and better with every race we kind of we kind of go to here, and you kind of got to wonder, you know, when is uh, Ferrari gonna like get it together here, right? I mean, <laughs> it's pretty bad on Ferrari's part, and then yeah, you got everything going on down at Mercedes. Uh, as well. So it's just up to you, man, where you want to start with well, this let's, one. Well, maybe let's start a little bit with Ferrari, simply because that's kind of the bad news, kind of darker side of this Grand Prix. And and I think we can probably both agree that some of that really significant pace that they had earlier in the season seems to have completely vanished. And even Matteo Bonato after the race was talking about the fact that to see any improvement in the championship, they need to regain some of the pace that they had earlier this season. But I think if you look at their individual races, obviously Charles Leclerc manages to score a podium. Uh, Carlos Sainz has not didn't have quite the same race, but if you dissect Carlos Sainz race, let me just let me just read this out to you. He goes into pit stop, has a long pit stop because the mechanics don't have a tire in the place. The driver behind him, Sergio Perez, exits through the working lane, but drives over the pneumatic gun in the process. On top of that, he later has an unsafe release. He has no pace in his first stint. And then he overtakes on yellows. Like everything that could go wrong for Carlos Sainz went wrong today, but it's kind of like the entire Ferrari season in a microcosm. What do you think is going wrong with that team? Yeah, a hundred percent. I, you know, it's, I think you summed it up pretty well there, uh, Hammy, because I mean, at the end of all of it, you know, getting slapped with that uh, five-second time penalty, ends up coming home finishing eighth. Like, just an absolute disaster of a day for for Carlos Sainz. And I think just the, the team as a whole, you know, it was interesting when, um, I believe it was Sky Sports had Matteo Bonotto on the, uh, on the in-race interview section, you know, he even just called it a. I believe he called it a a disaster <laughs> from from them on their end. But that's that's actually it's it's interesting because you you never really hear Mattia Bonotto talk badly about Ferrari or the crew or the job that the mechanics do. And that was one of the times where this season I've actually heard him say something negative towards you know towards the team and I think that's a clear indicator of just how frustrated this guy's getting with all of all of the mistakes and I think that there will be changes coming to the team but I don't see it in like in the near future I think if this is something that's going to happen like in the off season because I have a feeling there'll be some sort of restructuring just within that strategy department because it just is just not working. We just keep coming back to the same old beat and talking about the same old thing. And it's just going to keep happening, right? For some reason, they take these weird calls and then it just, things just tumble downhill from there. It's It's the strangest thing that I've ever seen from a racing team in my whole life. Hannah. And it's not just, and I think we all want to talk about strategy because that's obviously cost them races and significant constructors points this year, but it's the little things. It's like having a mechanic on the rear left corner of a car holding a tire during a pit stop and that doesn't happen. And then, and again, I give them a little bit of breathing room because the working lanes are tight. Uh, Zanvoort has the shortest pit lane in the entire championship. You know, it's a little bit different, but to not have a tire ready to go on the right corner when that, when that mechanic sitting at the front right corner, and then to leave a gun in a place where a competitor's car drives over it and they're lucky there was no penalty. And Equally, maybe you could argue that Sergio Perez was lucky that he didn't accrue a penalty, but it's not even just the big things. It's the small fundamental 
critical pieces of putting together a race team. And I think we're seeing these because they're being broadcast globally on the broadcast. But what are all the little things that are going wrong behind the scenes that we don't see that maybe build to bigger things? And I have to ask you this question because especially during Carlos Sainz's first stint today, he had zero pace on fresh tires, zero pace. And like I said, that was something Matteo Bonato addressed post-race. What do you think has happened to their pace? There's people speculating that due to the unreliability of their power units, they've turned them down. And if you look at the power units used this year, I'll just bring this up real quick. Charles Leclerc this year has already used five internal combustion engines, five turbochargers, five MGUHs, five MGUKs, and three electrical stores, batteries. What do you think is going on with the power unit? Where did that pace go that was so strong earlier this year? You know what? I think a big part of it, and you know, Matteo Bonotto had denied some of this, was the technical directive with raising of the ride height. Now, it's, you know, you have you kind of got to kind of look at this, right? Because they had great pace coming, going into the summer break. And then the TD came into play leading into the Belgian Grand Prix. And ever since that TD came into play, they've been, you know, they've been off the pace. I know it's only been two races, but the one thing that's a key indicator is tire life and tire uh, management. Uh, Charles Leclerc's softs were done after, I think it was like nine laps he was complaining about the soft tire just being done, but the Red Bull was able to continue longer. I believe Max went, I can't remember how many laps he went, but it wasn't until around lap 14 that he really started to complain about the soft tire compound. And even though, yes, the tires that Max had on were newer, uh, he started on fresh, but that being said, the Ferraris, you know, at at uh, when we got to around race seven or eight, they started getting really good at how they treated the tire, and they were able to get a little more life out of the tire, and they weren't running into too many problems. Now it kind of seems like they're right back to where they were at the beginning of the season with just how fastly uh, the tire dagged, and it's and it's quite strange. It's kind of like almost they've reverted back to where they were last season. And that's why I think that like. I think that the TD has has done something to them, but at the moment, just not quite sure what that is yet. And they're compensating um, with different types of of setups, and I think that's what's that's what's really bothering them a lot in terms of uh, race pace on the tire. Tim, that's a really great point because I think when so many people, including myself, see that a car is shedding pace race over race over race, the assumption is power unit, power unit, battery store, uh, electrical system. But you're right. When technical directive 039 came into force, it impacted the height of the floor. And when you adjust the flight of the whole floor, that impacts the aerodynamics of the entire package, which means that maybe you're creating more drag or less drag. But in this case, it seems like it's creating more rapid degradation of the tire. So you then have to do all sorts of things to compensate that, hey, if we're creating more drag, we need to adjust this, which impacts this. Like there's a trickle down effect for everything that you do. It's not as simple as like, hey, we're going to adjust the ride height by five millimeters. You do that, you have to rework almost every surface and your brake ducts and everything, right? Yeah, 100%. Like it changes just so much from the front of the car all the way to the the rear of the car. And then it also, that impacts uh, the tire, but it also impacts so many other things that the driver has to, has to do within the race car itself. So that's why I think that it has, it has something to do with it. Now I'm not saying it's like the key issue here. And I know that, you know, Bonotto has downplayed all of this, but I really don't, I, I just really think there's something else going on there with, with, with that uh, technical directive because it's, it's wild to me to see just how far off race pace they are compared to what they were, you know, in, say, Hungary or, you know, I mean, if you take a look at, like, Australia, like, Miami, and even in Miami, like, they had great one-lap pace, but then once they got into the race, the tire just absolutely, like, destroyed itself. And that's how Max was able to to get by and win in Miami. Like it's just there's certain little things like that that just really stand out to me. And so I wouldn't be shocked if it had something to do with that. But um, yeah, I mean, it also kind of seems like they throw in a towel a bit too. Like when you take a look at uh, this championship, right, Hammy? I mean, like 
It doesn't really sound like they're going after much right now. Yeah, and just on that note, before we, and I think this is probably a good opportunity to segue into Red Bull and their dominance so far. But just on that that topic of raw pace, Max's fastest lap today was a one thirteen six five two. George Russell's was a one thirteen six seven one. Lewis was a one thirteen eight five four. And then there was almost nobody within four tenths of a second. They just absolutely decimated the field. So it was great to see the Mercs there, and they were so close, and we'll get there. But just on that last point, and I think you make a great point about Ferrari potentially throwing in the flag. Red Bull now leads Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship by 135 points. They only led by 118 coming into this race, so they picked up a significant number of points. Max, having now won 10 of 15 races this season, was leading the Drivers' Championship by 93 points, now leads by 109. And Racing News 365 had done a really good story here, which kind of speaks to how quickly he could win the championship. And mathematically, He's not going to win the Drivers' Championship in Italy, but in Singapore, if he's leading by 138 points after that race, which is conceivable if Max was to score 26 points in Italy and Charles was to DNF, he could win the championship in Singapore. If he's up by 112 points in Japan, which is incredibly possible given the fact that he's already up by 109 he will win in Japan and if he doesn't win in Japan and he's up by 86 points he will most certainly win in the US so at this point your money's really on Japan or the US smart money is probably on Japan just based on the trajectory or trajectory but if Eve has a little bit of reliability issue maybe doesn't finish a fate race he most certainly will win in the US so I think to your point of Ferrari maybe throwing in the towel a little bit if you look at the championship standings there's not a shot mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's no way. I mean, the 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 gap that they have and they built up smartly. I mean, there's n- no one's catching them, right? And y- you, it it's true though. I really do feel that Ferrari handed them this uh, this victory. Um, even though obviously they haven't gotten it yet, but I really do feel that that they have. Like this could have been a championship that you know went to Abu Dhabi. I really do believe that. And now, like. I don't know. What are we going to be talking about after the U.S. Grand Prix? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Battle totally for Yeah, totally six agree. And the constructors? <laughs> you know, and like, and Verstappen just continues to like steamroll. Like, come on. I mean, this, this should be way closer. Like, it should be way closer. And, you know, we'll get into the fact of like, hey, today we actually could have seen like a great battle. Like, we will get into that, but... Just a, it's disappointing. You know what I mean? It's I and I hundred percent agree. And I, I've been sharing this over the last few months offline when I'm talking to friends that this could have been a thrilling, compelling down to the wire championship like last year. And the only reason it isn't is because of some general and I don't want to say incompetence because you can't be incompetent and build a world class Formula One team and actually be able to get a car on the grid like. They're obviously a world-class organization, but some really silly, unforced errors so far this year have cost all of us a great championship. And when I talk about all of us, I'm talking about everybody sitting at home that are going to have four dud races after he wins in Japan or he wins in the US. Like, what are we going to talk about for the next six weeks? And for content creators like us and people in the media, it's the death blow because when somebody wins the championship, we all know everyone's going to tap out. I'm probably, I'm obviously going to watch the races because I want to be able to produce a great podcast as you do, but I'm not going to be as emotionally invested. And we talked so much about the fact that last year, our numbers climbed and climbed and climbed as the season went along this year. And this is, and I promise this isn't a shot at our listeners who are fantastic, but it's just a reflection of the interest in the sport. As the championship gets farther and farther away from Leclerc, there's less and less and less interest. So when Max inevitably wraps this up in Japan or maybe the US, if Charles is lucky, we're going to have three really, really boring races to talk about. And to your point, what are we going to talk about then? The battle for third between Mercedes and, and Ferrari? And based on Mercedes' trajectory and the way they keep closing that gap, they're probably going to slide in and take third place from them as well. Yeah, or sorry, second absolutely. place, second place from the yeah, what am I talking I think, about? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's realistic. That's a realistic thing that could actually, you know, happen. You know, Ferrari has to worry about Mercedes. And this is something that we were we were talking about as we headed into the summer break. It was when will Mercedes catch Ferrari? And I think if you're, you're Mercedes, even though, you're not totally satisfied with the car that you have. I mean, you're still going to dump some resources in because that's a 
pretty big carrot that you could end up, you know, walking away with here at the end of the season with second place in the constructor standings with a with a car and a team that actually at the beginning of the season, you know, they were like, they would be dreaming of a, of a finish like this at the beginning of the season, you know, Mercedes was absolutely lost, man. Like they were just like trying to figure out how they were going to get through the full season, let alone now thinking about, you know, fighting Ferrari for uh, second place in the championship standing. Just to reinforce how close it's getting coming out of Belgium, the gap between Ferrari and Mercedes and the constructors title was 41 points. He's now just 30 points and remember the constructors there's bragging (laughs) rights and there's pride here as there always is but all of the prize money is divided up based on your finish in the constructors championship so if you slide past ferrari and i'm not Mm -hmm. saying that mercedes is working on a small oakland athletic style budget here but if you slide past ferrari you're picking up 50 60 Mm -hmm. 75 million Mm dollars of incremental prize money depending on how big the pot is at the at the end of the season like this is a big deal and should be a big deal for both of these teams and for matteo bonato at the end of the day if they lose second place in the constructors he's gonna have to go to the board at ferrari and explain hey here's the reason why we didn't compete for a championship down to the wire but here's why we also hemorrhaged 75 million dollars potentially in prize money to a direct competitor who's going to be able to take that money and invest in drivers in their infrastructure in their academy. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it, it just, it gets worse for Ferrari. You know what I mean? It just, it keeps getting worse. But I do feel that, you know, considering they've, they've appeared to have gotten a lot of their reliability issues under control and they really do understand the car that they have, which is a great thing. I think coming into and I know we're talking about 2023 here and we probably shouldn't be but at the end of the day I mean I think it this this is going to be closer uh I think I honestly do and I think Ferrari is actually going to be able to put up a really good fight next season uh again you know we keep going over the strategy 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 but if that gets kind of cleared up I mean that that uh that's a couple race wins already right there you know so I think at the end of the day, I mean, they're they're still in good hands. Uh, you, you know, Matteo Bonotto is not a not a team not a team principal. You just get rid of. Uh, he is just he's very good. He's really done a great job of turning that team around. I mean, there are just some things that are at this moment just out of his control. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I think that's a really great point. And as much as a lot of people on the internet and Twitter probably have the pitchforks and they're coming from Matteo, especially from the Tifosi, I mean, the reality is he's the one that led this team out of the darkness that was 2019. When, let's be honest, we don't know. We're not in a good space. Yeah. when, When you're caught effectively cheating and presumably somebody within your organization or another team turned you in and you went to the FI and said, here, here's what we actually did. And you, you lessen the blow of the impact that could have been pretty severe, but you have to rebuild from the ground up. And obviously there's been a culture change, driver changes. I think they're in a really great place. And, you know, you and I talked a lot in the off season about what 2022 was going to hold. Is it going to be a barn burner of a championship with three or four teams, or is it going to be a year of transition as teams wrestle and grapple with 
with the regulations. And Mercedes early on wrestled and Ferrari got a great start and they fell off. Uh, Red Bull's just gotten stronger and stronger. But I think next year, as much as we would have loved to have had a two-team battle this year, having a potential three-team battle next year with six top-tier mm-hmm. drivers is something that we haven't seen in, in a mm-hmm. long time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what has got me really excited because from this race that we saw you know, today, and it's probably a good time for us to swing over and start, you know, talking about Red Bull and, and Mercedes, you know, we saw, let's do it. Like we, yeah, you know, let's we, do we it. saw like three different teams on the podium today, which was fabulous. I mean, when was the last time, you know, we really saw that, like really, really saw that. Right. I mean, for the past, oh, I don't even know, like since 2014, all we've seen is Mercedes, maybe a Red Bull, maybe a Ferrari, maybe. Right. And then 2017, it was, and 2018, it was either a Mercedes or it was a Ferrari. And then 2020, it was just Mercedes just steamrolled everybody. And 2021, again, you know, it was Mercedes or Red Bull. And that's it. And now we're getting like, now we're getting three teams who are actually, today in particular, were competitive. And for, for Mercedes, obviously today I feel that you know they threw they threw this win away. They literally threw it away. Talk about that. I think that's what everybody's probably tuning in to hear from your perspective. What went wrong? What did they do wrong to throw this one away? Well, I mean, even hearing from like Christian Horner um, afterwards, and even he was surprised that they didn't leave George. You know, they they gave up track position. They gave. Max Verstappen second place instead of giving Lewis a buffer. So a big a big thing with all of this is is that is the tires, right? And how were the tires getting activated after the virtual safety car? And you know, George and Lewis would have like they would have known that it was a struggle to get the tire up to temperature and get it get it going. Um and George obviously does a great job on the radio of simply complaining about the tire and like, how am I going to get this thing up to temperature? I need new tires. I need blah, 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 blah. But I think like if you're Mercedes and, you know, Total Wolf told me this earlier in the year, like one of the goals with this car was to get a win this season. Well, you, you just, you just let one slip through your hands there because I think you leave George out you don't box him. You've got that. You've got enough of a buffer there that allows Lewis to open up a gap, and that gap is just enough for him to generate heat into the tire and get the tire working. And so once he kind of can get the tire to start working, he'll be ready for when Max gets there because Max was going to be coming, right? I mean that's that's Red Bull's strategy, like we've talked about hundreds of times on the show. Is just they're always aggressive with their pit stops. They're always going to take a chance to pit. They're always going to take a chance to get new tires. And that's just their mentality is to be aggressive and always be on the attack. And I respect that. But at the end of the day, if you're Mercedes, you have to know that because you went through something similar already in Abu Dhabi <laughs> last yes, yes, year. Yes. So you should already know what's coming. And that's my thing is that you had an opportunity to give your star driver enough of a gap that he could then go and fight this thing out. Like this could actually, we could have actually had a good scrap between these two rivals for the win of the race. And we didn't get it. We didn't get that. We got some easy pass on the start finish straight away. Like he blew past Lewis. Like he was standing still because Lewis still didn't have the tires up to temp. And then everyone say, well, what about George? Yeah. What about George? George could have easily have blocked, held him up for a lap. Maybe that's all he needed. Like, he didn't need, like, six laps of, like, you know, Verstappen being held up. He just needed a lap. Just get him a second. That's all he needed. And so who's to say that, you know, Lewis doesn't win this thing? Like, who's to say he wasn't going to win this thing? Because there is no evidence that says that he wouldn't have won this thing on that strategy. There isn't. And Mercedes couldn't provide it. It doesn't exist. So... That's my thing is that you just you should have let them race, just race, let the racers be racers and let them go and do their thing. And 
George was never going to win this race. Like, you're going to put him on soft tires. That's great. You think those soft tires, like, he's not catching Max. You've already given up the track position. He's not catching Verstappen. There's just no way. Lewis was a faster driver for Mercedes all weekend. And, you know, give George credit. Like, he did what he had to do uh, to get the stop. That's, hey, fair play. You know, fair play. Um, But I think just at the end of the day, you know, Mercedes still could have had that two, three, because who's to say Leclerc catches George, right? I mean, and you could have had two, three. You could have had a two and four. Or you could have had a one and a three or a one and a four, and those are big points, and you get your first win. Lewis gets his first win. It's also great marketing material. You can go back to the board of Mercedes, and you can explain to them what you spent $140 million on. And there you go, right? Everything would be everything would be hunky-dory. You got that win. That would have been a huge win. Huge, right? would have been big for the team. They needed it. And so that opportunity is gone now. And I don't know when it's coming back. They don't know when it's coming back. You're going to Monza where you have start, you have straightaways that are just as long as they were at Spa and you were 1.8 seconds off the pace in Spa. What do you think it's going to be like when you get to Monza? The car is draggy. It's fast in the corners. has a lot of downforce, but Monza doesn't have those things, right? I mean, so realistically, when is the next time the Mercedes could have this opportunity. Japan? Tim, let me dig into that point that you made a couple of seconds ago, because obviously you had the opportunity to do all of your media responsibilities post-race, and you were in some of the press conferences and some of the pressers with team principals and things like that. During the broadcast, when George Russell came in, and to your point, he's on the radio demanding, insisting that he needed new soft tires, that his tires were done. He came in, he he effectively gave up track position and put Lewis in a much more compromised position. Was that because the general consensus on the internet for at least part of the day today was that that was a decision that was made in isolation of the team, that George basically imposed his will on the team, went in and forced them to change his tires. Maybe he did, and maybe the team didn't push back hard enough, but was that a a George Russell call or was that a Mercedes call? And if it was a George Russell call, how do you as a team address that? Because to your point, he gives up track position, and had he been able to buy Lewis a lap or two to get those medium tires reactivated, because they're ice cold, man, behind the safety car, ice cold, and they had lap on the man like it could maybe he doesn't win but maybe you still score two podium finishes instead of a second and a fourth your perspective on what happened was George on on his own there or did the team call him in well I mean he was he was on the radio uh you know stating uh his issues with with the tires under the safety car um and like I had said, you know, just the the fact that how difficult they they were to kind of get um, activated again was difficult coming off of like a virtual safety car in this in this case coming off a safety car. So, you know, I think George did enough, did what he could on the radio it was just enough, and then the team kind of just the team made that call though. The team did tell him like when he was coming into the pit lane to box. Like George didn't say like unboxing, right? I mean, the team was, was ready to receive him and, you know, you got to give credit to George too, right? I mean, like George did what he had to do for, for his, for his side. Right. And, and any good race car driver would, would do that. Like any good race car driver would do that. And I think it, that comes down to the team and making the decision of like, Hey, do we, you know, do we really want to back our guy here and like get him a win or should we, you know, try this alternate strategy here and see what George can do as well and hope that Lewis is going to be able to, to hold off max where it's just like, I I just don't think they really, um, thought that one through enough because I think he, I think he just, you had to do it, man. You had to, you had to just leave George out so he could act as that buffer, give give Lewis that that advantage, and just let them go and race and, and fight it out and see who see who wins. I mean, we all wanted to see that, um, but yeah, I think just just at the end of the day, man, like yeah, George George did what he had to do, right? And like, 
And like, and I'm not the only one to say that, right? Like Jensen Button was on Sky Sports, like literally throwing the whole team under the bus. So it's, I'm not like there's so like Karun was doing the same thing on Sky. Like so it's just like we all wanted to see it, and yeah, it's just unfortunate. And I just don't know when it's going to come back to them. I thought this was a great opportunity for them, but. That's why I look at the calendar and you have to sit here and wonder him. You're like, when the next race that actually would really suit this, you know, Mercedes car. Like, I mean, it's it's got to be like a ways away. I mean, we, we got to be talking like the mid of October. Like, they, I mean, they maybe they're okay in Singapore, but like, again, you know, you look at those street tracks and like how difficult the street tracks have been for them this season, like Monaco with all the bouncing, same with Azerbaijan again. And then I guess Canada's like half of a street track, half of a road course. But again, there was a little bit of struggle there. And I mean, I I really don't think the next realistic opportunity isn't until like the United States, maybe, you know, at the end of October, like that makes a little more sense. I mean, Mexico, I don't think so. Those the straightaway on the and Mexico's way too long. Maybe Brazil. I mean maybe Brazil. Like and that's kinda it. And I think like the rest of this is just gonna either be Red Bull or Ferrari territory. It was likely very difficult for the Mercedes and Lewis fans coming out of that safety car. Obviously, if you look at this tracking, we've been there now for two consecutive years. And when we wrap up kind of our conversation of the drivers and the teams, I want to get your impression of Zanvoort now that we've been there a couple of times. But what we all learned this weekend and should have known coming into this weekend is it's very much like Hungary. And there's really one passing opportunity. And it's at, it's at turn one. And it just kind of reinforces your point that had Hamilton been in a position to hold on to that lead through that one corner it's highly unlikely max is going to get him in sector two or sector three his next opportunity is going to be all the way around at t1 again and by then maybe lewis has some heat in those tires and he can put the fat fight to max for a couple of laps and maybe maybe hold on and i'm not convinced he would but at least we would have had at least we would have had a fight and to your point when you give up track position to max you you lose that opportunity yeah it's tough too i you know you look at it in the form of the soft tire itself i mean it didn't have a long shelf life either and that's what Max was running. Like the, I think the soft tire in at the beginning of the race, you know, some of these guys were pitting on lap, like, geez, I want to say six or seven. Like it was like, maybe it was a little bit long, maybe lap eight or nine. Like it, it didn't last long. Like the life of the tire didn't last long, the performance of it. And Max only had one set of new soft tires and he used those at the start of the race. So, um, and, and I think like the mediums that Lewis was on, like, I don't want to screw up these numbers, but I think they're, they weren't very old. They were like four or five laps old. Maybe they're a little older than that, but like not much. Like they still had a lot of life left in them. And yeah, I just think he, I just think we, we could have seen a proper fight. That's all. And I, I just think Mercedes might have just thrown away an opportunity here to get a win. That's yeah. It. And to lean into your, your comment about if not here, then when I, I look at the rest of this calendar and, the challenge with Red Bull this year is they've continually gotten stronger and they haven't gotten weak and they don't seem to have plateaued. And Mercedes has made monumental changes and improvements, especially since Great Britain, Austria, where they seem to figure out that floor and the porpoising issue. But to your point, it's still not the fastest car relative to a Red Bull and it's still really draggy. So it's ultra quick and, and slippery in those corners, but it's not great in a straight line. And obviously Italy, Monza, if anyone at home has played this in the video game or sat through this track in 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 the sim it's kind of just like a big rounded square it's just a super fast power track and singapore we haven't been there since 2019 it's the first time that we've been there we don't even know what the surface is like it's not typically been a great aggregate to race on so it could be choppy and a little bit unpredictable we go to japan haven't been there in three years it's going to be new to a lot of the field we have no idea how these new arrows and the new regulations will act there in usa of course we've been familiar with that but mexico Brazil, maybe Brazil, Abu Dhabi. And do you really want to take it down to the wire? Because I had this thought when we were watching Lewis today, and it's just, when did he last? And this is why I was heartbroken for Lewis, just as a Formula One fan. When was the last season that he didn't score a race win? Ever? Ever? I don't. I don't think it's, I think he's scored a win in every season. Right. So all of a sudden, there was this opportunity where that streak could have been extended and obviously it may not 
be now. So yeah, so problematic. So, and we should probably quickly just hit on the final race classification for everybody that was uh, watching at home or maybe didn't watch at home and is kind of tuning into us to get the update. But Max Verstappen wins. He scores 26 points because he also gets the fastest lap. George Russell ultimately finishes in second, scores 18 points. Charles Leclerc pips Lewis Hamilton at the very end for 15 points. In third place, Lewis finishes fourth for 12. Sergio Perez finishes fifth with 10. Fernando Alonso, sixth with eight points. Lando Norris finishes seventh with six points. Carlos Sainz Jr. finishes eighth with four points. Esteban Ocon, ninth for Alpine Renault with two points. And Lance Stroll manages to finish in the points, scoring a solitary point in 10th place. Anything else you want to touch on with respect to Red Bull and their performance throughout the weekend? Yeah, you know, obviously, like, it's been tough for, for Sergio. And this car is really starting to get developed away from him. It's going to make things difficult. So he's going to have a lot of work uh, to do um, in the offseason to get prepared for what what could be for Sergio could be a difficult start to the year in 2023 um, because well he also doesn't have all the same parts on the car that Max has as well. But it it it's it suits more Verstappen now, right? Like the general direction of this car's handling is heading in Max's favor and in his direction and the lighter that the car gets the more you know he's able to turn it in on the front end and get a snap a bit of a snappy rear which he kind of likes um where Sergio is is kind of just on the other end of the spectrum where it's like he likes a car that's a little heavier a little more understeer he likes it to push through a corner a little bit more doesn't necessarily like it when it's too oversteery uh and you know it's really starting to show like the performance gaps from from Sergio to Max are pretty big and you know that's tough i mean because sergio actually had a really great start to the season um i was actually thinking that he could actually battle max for for this championship but then you know verstappen uh and you know i can't take anything away from max obviously he's he's turned it up like he's he's done well even when the car didn't really suit his driving style like max has been fantastic all season and he continues to get stronger and it's interesting when i you know you know sit in these interviews and hear him talk and you know some of the things that he always kind of you know really really talks about is just focusing on the race at hand what they have to deal with and just taking things you know one race at a time and I think for Max, that that was one of his issues when you know he was younger, always trying to think too far ahead and sometimes overthinking things. And you know he's he's really matured and he's really just you know taking it as it comes, and it's working for him because he's just so confident, man. Like, and he's driving incredibly. Like, uh, what more can you say about him? Just on that Sergio Perez piece, too, he had scored five podiums going into Silverstone back in the middle of the summer. He obviously scored a, a podium in Great Britain. Since then, in the one, two, three, four, five Grand Prix since then, he scored a solitary podium. And of course, he had the retirement in, in Austria. So I get that point that you make about the fact that this car is developing rapidly. And it's obviously complementary to Max's driving style. So when you say it's getting away from Perez, it's because it was presumably in a more neutral place coming into the season. But as they develop that car, it favors presumably what you mean is Max's driving style and his driving characteristics and his racecraft. Yeah, absolutely. And I I just, uh, I've been really, you know, appreciative of watching uh, Verstappen and especially in qualifying this season, I mean, his lap at uh, Zandvoort on Saturday is incredible. I got an incredible qualifying lap. They were struggling mighty, you know, on the Friday, free practice one, free practice two. You know, it wasn't great in free practice three. And somehow, you know, Max just found a way of pulling out this incredible performance and just you know, blowing everybody away. Now, granted, you know, we don't know where Hamilton would have ended up on his quality lap because that actually looked like it was on. So, and Sergio had his spin. With that being said, you know, it's just kind of like, it was kind of like Max versus everybody type deal. 
and he was just able to you know summon this incredible performance uh on the saturday and he he did what he needed to do right and that's so much pressure on your shoulder as a shoulders as a driver right and it's i think for for him he's just i don't want to call him the ice man because we got enough of those but like you know he's <laughs> He's like the stone man. Yeah, like he's, yeah, he's incredible. Yeah. I don't. I, you can't flinch. He doesn't flinch. He's he's, he's been he's been amazing this season. I want to I want to switch gears, and this is a terrible terrible pun, but I wanted to do a little bit of myth busting on this show because one of the one of the conspiracy theories that took over Twitter and Instagram and and Reddit earlier today was uh, about Yuki Sonoda's DNF. And obviously, if you've ever listened to my podcast, Scuderia F1, and I know you and I have talked about this in the past, we live in this unique world where Formula One is this massive, mega, global, billion-dollar super sport, and there's 10 teams. And unfortunately, two of them are owned by the same corporate entity, which is super, super um, undesirable. Like, ideally, we want 10 teams on the grid that spend to the absolute max to contend for a championship. And right now, there's only nine really doing that. And if you take out Haas and Williams, maybe seven. But it's not ideal that we have a team that's here effectively to serve as a B team. So the conspiracy theory that erupted on the internet today was that the, the DNF from Yuki was convenient, basically implying or alluding to the fact that this was manufactured, that this was constructed to give Red Bull an advantage. And obviously, you know what, if you want to look at it through a conspiracy theory lens, yeah, I get it. But I just want to be crystal clear to a lot of the newer folks that might have just kind of joined Formula One in the last couple of years. Back in the late 2000s, we had two big overlapping scandals. We had Spygate between Ferrari and McLaren. McLaren lost all of their championship points in the 2007 season. They were fined $100 million, and it devastated that organization for years. And in 2008, we had a a, uh, highly controversial moment called Crashgate, where Nelson Piquet Jr. was ordered effectively to crash his car to give his teammate Fernando Alonso at Renault track advantage to help him skewer a race win in what was otherwise a really poor season for Renault. When that came out, the the blowback and the impact to Renault was devastating. Almost the entire team senior leadership was banished from the sport. Renault almost promptly exited the sport entirely as a works manufacturer. And my point being, and the reason I'm rambling is this, if you honestly think that Red Bull who has two championships in the bag, is willing to risk their place in the championship, hundreds of millions of dollars in fines, and the championships that they have locked up already by doing some shenanigans like this. I I think you're way off base here. And Tim, I don't know if this surfaced through your social media streams earlier today, but when I was on Twitter, it was everywhere. Like, I get it. It's not great. I don't want AlphaTauri to be owned by Red Bull, but to insinuate or suggest that this was manufactured or constructed, I think is a little off base. Is it not? Yeah, I think so too. Um, You know, hearing from, you know, Yuki afterwards, you know, just talking about how he kind of felt the car was, what was the word he used? He felt like it was drifting, uh, and especially down uh, the straightaways as, as well. Um, and it turns out they're, they're investigating, um, uh, what was it? They're investigating a differential. Yeah, that's what it was on the rear. And so I... I I think you make some very solid points because if Red Bull ends up, you know, getting caught in any way, I mean, the FIA like will remove everything. And they'll look into it. Like they already did. They did look into it. They 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 went through the AlphaTauri car. They went through all the video. Um they went over like they brought Yuki into sit him down and grill him like what was going on they and everybody's you know story correlated so yeah here we are i mean like at the end of the day it's it's racing and things happen and that's racing and sometimes the weirdest you know weirdest things they happen and that's just the way it is um yeah that uh, i don't no there's not anything going on 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The differential issue that he reported, and I've, I've had differential issues in a race car before, and I'll be very honest, the sensation that you get when you're sitting in the driver's seat is a loud clunking sound that's not unlike the sound that you would expect from a wheel that is coming off of its hub. So I also get why Yuki may have at first thought it was a wheel issue, that the wheel wasn't attached to the hub correctly. My friend, anything else from this race that you that you want to touch on today? Um, I mean, obviously, like Lance Stroll getting getting a point, and the Aston Martin starting to, you know, really look good, and Lance actually, you know, really look good in qualifying on the Saturday. This is yeah, this is a big this is a big time racetrack. It's a big commitment racetrack. You can't make a lot of mistakes here because if you do. Uh, it's old school. You're going to get bit and you're going to be in the wall. So I think for, for, for Lance this weekend, it's a shame he didn't get to run that Q3 uh, because I think if he had have been able to, I think, you know, he would have been on for, for sixth or seventh. You know, that was kind of, that was kind of the pace of the car for qualifying. And that would have been, that would have been good enough to get them more than one point on Sunday. Um, and they kind of got bit by the, the safety car as well and how that situation kind of played out for for them as a team they probably could have gotten some more points not just uh 10th in one point but they could have been fighting a little bit further up and they may have been able have having a chance of getting that getting carlos science as well because of the um the five second time penalty um but all that being said yeah you know i think like it, it looks good for aston martin like moving forward they're really starting to learn uh, this car, we have to remember the upgrade that they, they brought. They actually, you know, brought that a long time ago and it looks like it's working for them now. They're finally starting to, to figure it out. And I think that's a positive sign, uh, for, for Lance, um, t- tough one for, for Nicholas. I mean, this wasn't, this wasn't a great weekend for him, uh, suffered with engine issues in Q1 in qualifying, uh, it's a shame he had to park it in qualifying because, you know, his first sector at the beginning of his, of his lap before the team told him to shut it down. You know, he was, he was, he was very fast, uh, very fast. He was like way faster than, than Alex was. And he probably would have been able to punch his way into Q2 if he had been able to put the lap together, but, uh, just bad luck this weekend for him. And it's really unfortunate because that door is starting to close. I think, you know, it's just, it just is not it's not looking good. I think he needs he needs a good performance in Italy. And I think he's got to get it and uh yeah, it's going he's he's in he's in tough, man and just hasn't had that that uh you know, you know, it was on that swing of and and Yost Capito actually talked about this on on the Saturday. You know, he was on this trajectory uh once Silverstone got around and the performances started to really come come back to him and he was actually uh, started to show his potential and that's one of the things that actually Williams Williams believes in this guy and you know they feel that he's got this potential that's just not fully getting unlocked um and there's there's glimpses of it like you look at Silverstone and qualifying I mean that was incredible uh Austria is qualifying there again was really solid in a car that was like old as dirt <laughs> <laughs> and then you look at then he like gets the upgrade 
Uh, and again, he's on, he's on pace with Alex. He's back on pace with Alex. And then you get to, to Hungary as well. And great performance uh, there all weekend. And then you get that summer break. And, you know, it's just kind of like one of those things that kind of interrupts your flow, like it interrupts your momentum. And he just, he's got to like get it back. But I think for him, like he had to get it back sooner. Like he needed this back in spa. Like he needed the momentum, you know, coming right at his summer break. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens at the Italian Grand Prix, but um, he's got a fight on his hand for, for sure. Like for Mick sure. Schumacher has outperformed his teammate, Kevin Magnuson, who has a long-term deal with Haas in all but one races since Great Britain. Of course, it's a lot of factors and variables that go into that, but he uh, he outperformed mm-hmm. his teammate, K-Mag, again. And the reason I bring this up, of course, is just a couple of days ago, you and I were talking about his future and where he may find a home, because presumably it's not going to be with Ferrari, mm-hmm. it's certainly not going to be with Haas. But based on the performances that he's putting in since at least Great Britain, do you think his future is secure in Formula One and will he find somewhere to drive next year? Yeah, I don't think it is either. I don't think, uh, I think Mick's on the hot seat too. I don't... Uh... Now, from what I've heard, I mean, Haas is looking around, man. They're shopping around. If they're shopping around, that means they don't want him, right? If we're, like, I have some pretty good people telling me some things that they're just, they're, they're, they're looking around, they're seeing what else is out there. And that's going to be tough for Mick, for sure. Um, and yeah, his his place on the grid is not, it's it's not set in, not set in stone, you know, and uh, hearing from uh, the folks at Alpha Tauri and their interest in in getting Colton Herta and just how much they're pushing like for that with Helmut Marco saying that like essentially all the teams that are involved in trying to get Colton Herta into Formula One for next year they're all on board um, and on top of that you know trying to get the FIA to grant him a super license so that that's one. That's one seat that's gone. I don't, you know, Mick couldn't get that either, right? And then who knows what they're going to do with uh, with um, Yuki Sonoda? And then we have to remember, well, Daniel Ricardo's still floating around out there. So lots of talent. There's still lots of talent out there. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for these drivers. Like. These ones that are at the back just to hold on. I'm glad you mentioned Daniel Ricardo. Obviously, when it was announced that he was going to be departing McLaren a couple of weeks ago, he'd done that social media post. And of course, McLaren followed that up with a statement. A lot of people online were very upset and they feel that he had been betrayed by McLaren. Although, of course, you and I look at this, this is a business and and he was underperforming. But even today, this is a guy who finishes. Let me take a look here. Where did Daniel finish today? Daniel finished P17 versus his teammate Lando Norris, who finished well in the points at P7. And I think the only time we saw Daniel today was when he was being overtaken. At one point, I think it was an assumption or assumed that he might get that Alpine seat. I think that slipped away and it's probably going to go to Pierre Gasly. Is there any guarantee that Daniel Ricciardo has a seat next year, especially given his recent performances coming out of the summer break? Yeah, no, again, right? Still with... with uh with with Daniel I don't, I don't it's tough to say right it's kind of like well Alpine really wants Gasly and what's holding this up is if Colton Herta gets the super license which he should have I mean like come on I, I understand that like it kind of it, it kind of um doesn't put a good light on your ladder system into Formula 1 but IndyCar is worth more super license points than formula three is like, give me a break. Like it, you're kidding. You're kidding me. Like it's, it's a shame. Really? This shouldn't be a matter of making an exception for Colton Herta. This should be, correcting the current way that points are attributed to IndyCar drivers. That if you're going to give 40 points to those that finish first, second, and third in Formula 2, you do the exact same three, exact same thing for Indy. Make it retroactive the last three years. It applies to everybody equally. Let them in. Don't make a one-time exception because it undermines that sense of neutrality. Just fix the glitch. And the glitch is that IndyCar is less valuable in the eyes of the FIA than Formula 2 is, which is obscene. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. So... 
I think once they kind of get this all sorted out with, with Colton, then Alpha Tauri will have a better understanding of what their future looks like in terms of drivers moving forward, which then Alpine will have a better understanding of what their future looks like for their driver lineup as well. Because I think that that's the first sort of domino to fall next. And we should learn more this week coming up in that regard. But if Alpine doesn't get Pierre Gasly, I could see them then moving moving back and uh, offering something up to to Daniel Ricciardo because I mean who's to say they can't bring him back and Daniel can't you know find his rhythm again? I mean he's a talented race car driver. He's a he's a Formula One race winner. Like he knows the guy knows what he's doing. So it's just was McLaren doing to, to extract the performances from him at the end of the day? So I think that would kind of be the next logical spot I would see Dan Ricardo ending ending up at. And I think like the next thing is like, well, what happens with, you know, Zhou Guan Yu? You know, obviously it'd be it'd be, you know, for Alfa Romeo, they would definitely be interested in Dan Ricardo's services, but like how do you say goodbye to this rookie who's just done a with China job, coming Hanny. back online next year. Oh with yeah, that's China true. coming yeah, back yeah, online sure. next year. Totally. Yeah, for sure. But but like again, like but just you know that aside, like true, true, totally get he, it. He's he's done a great job, and like how would, totally how do you agree. just let that go? I mean that's that's tough. I I don't know. That's tough. And so, you, what does that leave you with? It leaves you with Haas. And if I'm Daniel Ricardo, yeah, I, I would go to Haas for sure. Why not? I mean, they've showed good pace this year. That car actually has been a little inconsistent towards the back half of this season. But at the beginning of the season, the first eight, nine races, it was a good car. They had a really good car there, and they still do. They just need to figure it out um, because they've had the big upgrade that was brought to it uh, for Kevin Magnussen in, in Hungary before the summer break and for Mick Schumacher at the Belgian Grand Prix after the summer break. And so they're still trying to learn it. But at the end of the day, I think that's a smart option. I think like once you kind of get to Williams, I just don't know if that's a realistic option for him. I think at the end of the day, that's where he kind of just says, look, I'm just going to take a sabbatical. That That's my feeling anyways. My friend, before we sign off, we've done a, a solid hour-long analysis and recap of the Dutch Grand Prix from Zandvoort. I wanted to ask you specifically about this racetrack. And Obviously, the last couple of years, we've seen a ton of new racetracks join the Formula One calendar or tracks return to the Formula One calendar after a, a lengthy absence. Some, like Zandvoort, returned, and I don't think either of us probably remember watching races there live in the past, but it's obviously been reconfigured. Your impression of this track since we've been there now a couple of years, I've definitely got some thoughts, but I want to kick it over to you to get your initial, not really your initial impressions, but your impressions of this as a potential mainstay on the calendar in Formula One for years to come. I like it. You know, I woke up this morning getting ready for the race and just the music that was pumping, like it was, it was awesome. The, uh, the show that, that they put on when they're there, it's something different too, right, Hammy? Like we don't necessarily see like a, like an EDM concert that is a race. You know I mean? like it's, it's actually pretty cool. I like it a lot. I think it's awesome. It's unique. And, uh, and that's the other thing about some of these races that we go to, right? Like they're all, they all have their, their own little things that make them, you know, stand out from other races. And I find that, I, I like that. I think that's really cool. It kind of gives them their own personality, so to speak. But I love this track. I think it's awesome. Uh, I wish, you know, where there was maybe a few more uh, passing passing areas. I think I think Max said it right with that, with that turn, uh, I believe it's turn three, with the banking. They kind of need to, Instead of flattening out the bottom part of that banking, I think it needs to kind of, uh, you know, be more inclined and rise with the bank itself. And I think you could then have two cars going through there at the same time. That would make more more sense. So if they start to think about reconfiguring something, that would be something to take a look at. Then also with the the glued down uh, gravel, <laughs> <laughs> never seen anything like that. It before. worked. It did it work. Yeah, it did work. It worked though. It did work. You're right. And it was, uh, it was cool. I liked it. And um, no, I really, I, I love this race. I absolutely love it. And uh, it just it feels like a giant party when it's, when it's all done. And, you know, it's funny. It was like, we saw the, the orange flare get, get thrown out onto the track on the Saturday and qualifying and, you know, super dangerous. I mean, at the same time, but 
And they're, the fans are told, like, no flares, right? No flares. And this guy gets, this guy who threw it, he gets tossed. And the next day is race day, and you're expecting to see flares everywhere, and there's no flares, right? And kind of everyone, sort of 105,000 people, there's an understanding, like, okay, we got to lay off the flares here, guys, okay? No flares, in here, <laughs> no more flares. We don't need any flares. And then the race is over, and the on-track action is stopped, and then there's just flares everywhere, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. which is fine. Yeah. That's uh, you know that's you know to your health. I mean, I don't know about that, but uh, you know they weren't hurting anyone at that point. But um, yeah, I just thought it was a it's an, it's a unique race, and I really like it. What do you think? It's funny. A couple of months ago, maybe not even a couple of months ago, five weeks ago, you and I uh, joined Megan Schuster on the Ringer F1 show because we were doing a recap of the Hungarian Grand Prix. And the day before the race, I actually wrote up notes and notes about why it was a terrible race. The race hadn't happened yet, but I wrote pages of notes about how it's an archaic track. It's too small. There's only one overtaking opportunity at the end of the straight at T1. And then we ended up getting a really exciting, interesting, fun race. And I kind of went into this the same way because I spent a ton of time in the sim learning this track. And a couple of things that I learned is that it's a very difficult, demanding Formula One track for these drivers, especially with the heavier cars they have this year, because it's compact. It folds over on itself constantly. There's no heavy, deep braking zones. And if you do deep or break deep into any of these corners, you kind of unload the balance of the car. You put too much load on the front tires. You run deep, you oversteer, or you, sorry, you understeer. It's it's a complex race. My point is it's a complex, challenging racetrack, and it only got more challenging this year for the drivers because the cars are that much heavier. So it's all about maintaining balance and maintaining speed. So you brake earlier, you modulate the brake a little bit more, and then you accelerate out of the corner far earlier than you would in other racetracks. That said, I think it's fun. I love the setting amongst the dunes. I think it looks great on TV. I hate the flares. I'm glad that the fans were well-behaved enough to keep them for post-race because I can, dude, I can only imagine what it would be like to spend $1,000 on a grandstand ticket and for somebody 10 rows in front of me to turn on a flare and not be able to see the race for 10 laps. Like, that's not a good, good experience. But I think that there's some things they can do here. And if they could find a way to inject another overtaking point on this track, I think it could be a real, a real thriller. And we haven't seen a really wet wet weather or wet weather race here yet but yeah i think it's fun and i hope it remains a staple and i think it's great that max has injected so much enthusiasm for the sport in that region of europe that there is demand for a grand prix in in zandvoort yeah absolutely it's it's awesome i love the beach atmosphere too i think that's cool like you literally have a racetrack right on the beach like how awesome is that no it it is it is great, and uh, I keep telling everybody this is a this is a race that you know I I want to go to one day and uh, you know check it out. Like I even say that before Monaco, I'm just like I, I want to go to the Netherlands and, and check out the Dutch Grand Prix. My friend, that's that's all I got. I cannot thank you enough for taking cool. some time getting together with me. I know you're going to stitch this into a bigger podcast, which will include a recap of the indie race at Portland, but. Uh, where yes. can people, for all of the listeners on the Skid Area F1 podcast, where can they find you online? Uh, yeah, you can get me at Tim Haraney on all forms of social media. You can get the TSN Racing Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and just to pick up on that note, uh, I will have on the show that will be released uh, on Monday morning, because you guys release yours on Sunday evening. Sunday night, so, yeah, yeah. Sunday night. So mine we got to beat re- you, man. Yeah, because mine my, my will get released uh, Monday morning, but on my show, we've got uh, IndyCar winner Scott McLaughlin, Will Power, and Scott Dixon. Not too bad. Bringing the big heat. And for everyone at home that's familiar with me and Mark Daly, who wasn't able to join us today, again, my name is Mark Hamilton. This is the Skidaria F1 Pod. If you want to give us a follow on Twitter, at Skidaria F1 Pod, please do that. We'll be launching SkidariaF1Pod.com in the next couple of weeks. We're excited about that. And of course, if you like what I you like what I hear, if you like what you hear, you enjoy the show, make sure to give us a rating on Spotify. It means the world to us. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can give us a rating and a review there. Once again, Tim, this was fantastic. Great Grand Prix. We'll regroup next Sunday for what will hopefully be a thriller at Monza. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, they gon' have fun with that. Smash like song in my songs gon' break through like a running back.